0: Good morning, Source Church, and everybody else who's uh, listening in this fine Sunday morning. It is a, a blessing to be able to share on one of my favorite days of the year. Um, I'd like to take us back to a few weeks ago, our very last service in this church. Pastor Steve shared a message, and uh, he shared a chapter over us, uh, Romans chapter 8. And, and he said, you know, maybe everyone spend a few days in this chapter. And I decided to spend, you know, the next week in uh, in Romans chapter 8. And then I spent a few more weeks in Romans chapter 8. But I began to read it in conjunction with Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's uh, prayer to the Ephesian church. And And over the weeks, this question began to... Uh, formulate in my mind and I think it's a very important question and I, I still wonder about it even now. I'm still going to think about it tomorrow and, and probably for the rest of my life and the question is, uh, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? Um, maybe we could all ask that question right now. Let's, let's all say it together out loud. What does the resurrection of of Jesus Christ mean for me? So when we when we try and understand that question, I mean it's a, a huge question, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives learning about it. And and for many of you, you've already spent decades learning about it. Um, I think in starting off, we should understand what happened what happened at the resurrection and sort of immediately afterwards between jesus rising from the dead and ascending into heaven a month and a bit later what was he what was he doing what was what was all of this about so if you could turn with me to luke chapter 24 we'll read the first 7 verses but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb but has risen remember how he told you while he was still in galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise that's one of my favorite pieces of scripture when it's revealed that jesus rose from the dead so what what did jesus do so he's he's risen from the grave he's come out of the tomb there was an earthquake and, and the stone rolled away and and Jesus has walked out in his resurrected body, and the women have gone there and you know they they wanted to put spices on the body because it's it that was their custom, and they weren't able to do that, not because they couldn't move the stone out of the way, but because Jesus's body wasn't there, and uh, and so they they run home and they ended up telling. You know, everybody about it, but nobody believed them except for Peter and John. Okay, so what did Jesus do sort of that day? Or what did he do for the 40 days? I guess you could say Paul touches on it in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles. I dare say he probably would have visited the rest of his family in there as well, not just James. Um, But for the sake of what Paul was talking about, he's really only included uh, these people here. So, why didn't Jesus just rise from the grave and then go straight into heaven? What was he trying to do for that 40-day period? Well, number one was that he was confirming the Scriptures, you know, said that he had to rise from the grave. But when he appeared to different people, that was when they knew that the Scriptures got confirmed. Okay, so that was one thing that Jesus wanted to do. He's, he wasn't keeping this to himself. Um, another thing he was doing was he was building their faith. Everybody that really knew Jesus or spent time with Jesus and everybody that he appeared to, he was building their faith. Saying, well, I was dead now i 'm alive and and some of these uh, situation situations just seemed uh, so out there and so incredulous that they just didn 't know what to believe and so sometimes Jesus had to eat food in front of them and say, "Does a spirit eat? look at me eat you know come on i 'm really here with you guys and he did other things to reinforce their faith too because there was so much doubt i mean at the end of the book of Mark, one of the things he did was rebuke them for their faith. Um, but uh, he was also very encouraging as well to, uh, to Thomas. I mean, this was kind of a rebuke as well, but, but it was also very encouraging. Thomas had said, you know, unless I touch the holes in his hands and the hole in his side, I will not believe. You know, and so Jesus appears in the house later on and, and says, come on, here you go. Touch my hands, touch my side. I'm here. Stop disbelieving. Believe. You know, And, and uh, we, we see him reinforcing their faith in in the miracle catch of fish, and uh, which had happened once before. So when it happened again, they knew that it was only Jesus. And then we see it in the reinstatement of Peter after his denial. So we see Jesus doing all of these things to set the apostles and whoever else he needed to in the right place so that he could do the third thing, which is what I'm about to talk about, And that is, he he was able to then give them instructions for when he was not physically going to be with them. So some of his instructions, we see it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 in the Great Commission. You know, all authority in, in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We see it in Mark chapter 16, where he says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all of creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. And we see it in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, where he says, Stay here until you are clothed with power from on high. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come to them until Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, So after that, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, uh, that he ascended into heaven. Or in uh, Mark chapter 9, let's go to Mark chapter 9, actually. Sorry, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verses 19 to 20. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So Jesus went to... He ascended into heaven... And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he still is today. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? He's working on our behalf. We see that in the passage right there. Another word for working on our behalf is is, uh, he's interceding for us. Okay? So that's what Jesus does now. Now he lives in us by the Holy Spirit that's come to live in us. Okay. So now that we kind of have the events around the resurrection. Uh, we've talked about it in a nutshell. We, we understand it well enough now. Uh, let's go back to our original question. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? Okay, first and foremost, the resurrection brings completion to our salvation because our salvation kind of comes in two parts. Okay, first... Jesus had to deal with sin. Now, I want to use the analogy of a tree. Uh, you know, what comes first, the tree or the fruit? Um, because sort of both are needed. Uh, but, I mean, when God first made the world, the tree came first before the fruit. So I'm going to I'm going to use that argument. But you don't get fruit without a tree, okay? I mean, here in the Riverina, we've got orange trees everywhere. It's not hard for us to imagine uh, how it works. So... Uh, so the tree grows, right? And when it becomes mature, that's when it starts bearing fruit, okay? And then that uh, bears trees after its own kind, and that bears more fruit, etc., etc. But the fruit always comes after the tree. If you have no tree, you don't have any fruit to start with, okay? Now, when it comes to sin, I, I want us to think of sin as the tree for a moment, okay? And the fruit of sin is death, but death doesn't come without sin first being there. So when we go to... Let's go all the way back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 17. God said, uh, you know, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Or if we look at what the Hebrew means, it says, in dying you will die. Now... Adam and Eve didn't physically die straight away, but they did spiritually die straight away because they were separated from God in that moment. And their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and that they were without God. Okay, But then further on down the road, we see that they physically succumbed to death as well. In dying, you will die. So the fruit of sin is death. That's the end result. Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death. It's it's if if you're working with sin, then you achieve death at the end of the week or or the end of whenever payday comes. Okay. Now humanity as a whole was bound by a legal contract to sin. When we think of the spirit realm, I'd like us to think of it as its own legal system. Things only happen by permission. God is a God of justice and a God of order, and, and he designed the spiritual realm, and he designed it as a legal system. Angels have to follow it, even demons have to follow it, and God himself follows it as well. Okay, so the spirit realm operates like a legal system. So when Jesus died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice, okay, he dealt with the problem of sin. He Tore up that contract that had bound us with death being the end result. And because he tore the tree out from the roots, the fruit no longer had any claim over him. And the fruit was death. So because he dealt with sin, the foundation of the issue, he was able to rise from the grave because it had no legal authority over him. How cool is that? Okay. Okay. Because Jesus represents us as a human being, and he also represents God as a member of the Trinity, he was able to reconcile us, he was able to tear up that contract with his very own blood, and he was able to reconcile us to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What an interesting statement, because you think, when I've been reconciled to God, then I must obviously be saved. But then it says, now much more that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Well, when Jesus died, the slate was wiped clean, and we could be with God, and that was no problem. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead then we wouldn't have been able to have a change in our living. We wouldn't have been able to live for God. Our minds wouldn't have changed. Our, our condition wouldn't have changed, so to speak. I mean, we were washed by the blood of Jesus. But if Jesus didn't rise again so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in us and we could be empowered by grace, we would have ended up back in the same problem as when we first started. That's why I said the resurrection brings completion to our salvation. So Jesus died and we dealt with the problem of sin. And then when he rose, he lived again. We were able to live with him okay, and live like him and live for him. So there had to be a change of living in us. Because being free from sin is not just being separated from it, but it's also living a different lifestyle, living for righteousness and not living in the direction or the lure of sin. Okay. So our life now, um, our life and our spiritual condition is tied to Jesus. So if Jesus were to (laughs) suddenly die of old age... Um, then he wouldn't be our priest anymore. He wouldn't be our advocate anymore. Or if Jesus were to suddenly just turn around and decide to commit a small act of rebellion against the Father, or 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 if he were to sin in some way, then because we're all tied to Jesus, we all would have been found guilty of condemnation. But we read in Hebrews chapter seven, verses twenty-two to twenty-four. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant than what was in the Old Testament. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Excuse me. Okay. So Jesus remains perfectly sinless and lives forever with the Father. And because he does, we get to as well. So this is the reason for Easter. That's why I love Easter so much. It's, it's not the chocolate. It's not the, the things we get. Um, it's not even hanging out with people. And we don't really get to do that this year anyway. But the message of Easter is the best message in the whole world. That Jesus died and rose again for us so that we could be with him. This is the foundation of the Christian experience, the foundation of everything that we do and the way we live our lives. <clears throat> so this is a very simple message. It, it really is. Jesus died and rose for me so that I could be set free from sin and become a child of God. That's actually pretty simple. But uh, I remember when I was early on in my faith, I used to I used to move away from the message of salvation to things that I thought were more interesting. You know, like the philosophical areas of the Bible or, you know, something like that. How silly was I. Okay, there is there's nothing more interesting than the message of salvation. It's it's not something you move on from. When we dwell on it, when we think about it, just the, the simple concepts and understand the things around it, and we grow in thankfulness and we practice that heart of gratitude because a thankful person doesn't wait for things to come. They know they've already got something. We've already got salvation. We've already got reconciliation with, with God. We've already got no condemnation because of Christ Jesus. Okay, We've already got righteousness and holiness. We've already got God's love. They're things to be thankful for because of what Jesus did. So when we're practicing that and we're thinking about it, then nothing in life is going to overcome us. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this very same thing himself. He says, I've said these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's going to happen, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Church, we've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, no matter how big they are. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died to sin and been born again in god why should the world overcome you okay one more scripture hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. When we look to Jesus and we keep him as our focus and these simple concepts of salvation, then the rest of the Christian life just begins to take its own shape and and the things of God naturally begin to happen in your life. You don't need to worry about all of the other stuff. Church, we worry a little too much. Let's be thankful that We've been saved in Christ and reconciled to God, and that we're now living for God and growing in the image of Christ. It's we we don't need to write a thesis about it. It's it's quite a simple concept. Okay, so when we're in sin, right? It's natural for us to sin. It, it's just natural. You you, it it's fruit from a tree. It's a natural thing. We're in sin. We commit sins. That's the fruit of our condition. But when we come to Christ. What happens? We naturally do righteous things. We learn to start living righteously until we get to the point where any sort of habitual sin is no longer a problem in our lives. We're not making a habit of sin anymore. It's, it's against our nature. It's not something we do naturally. We live righteously. We live for God naturally. In fact, because of God's grace in us, We have the ability to live just as righteously as Jesus. If you really want to know about what the resurrection can mean for your life, read the four Gospels and read everything that Jesus did and then put yourself in his shoes and imagine yourself doing all of those same things. If Jesus lives in you, he's not going to be anyone except himself. That's what should naturally happen. That's what the resurrection means for our lives. We'll be like Jesus. We're filled with Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> How good is God? Church, what a wonderful Sunday morning. You know, maybe maybe you haven't heard this message before. Maybe you're Tuning in uh, just because normally you'd you know you'd go to church at Easter and and Christmas and and things like that, but but you haven't heard this message uh, b- before, not really like this, or maybe it's hitting you on the heart really hard. You know, may I encourage you? That's the, that's the Holy Spirit prompting you, okay? Or maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were younger, but uh, you walked away from God, okay? If if that's you, then. Man, you've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to say yes to him because there is no other life but life with God. Okay? But just like the cross was a was a two part thing, Jesus died to to uh, have victory over sin, and then he rose again to bring life. There's there's something we got to do, but it comes in two parts. We've got to repent of our sin. We've got to recognize it for what it is. It's a problem in our life and, and, and turn away from it and confess that to God and hand it to him. We don't want it anymore. And then understand that Jesus rose from the dead and accept that he wants to give us life, that we could become a part of his family again. So if that's you this morning, then I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and then I want you to let us know in in either the chat or or shoot me an email at jamie at au. That'll be uh, written below. Um, Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. And and if that was you, uh, can I get you to repeat after me? This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, actually, and it, it gets better from here. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to set me free from sin. And thank you for rising again to bring me life. I recognize what you did. And I'm sorry for my sins. I hand them to you now. I don't want them anymore. Help me to live for you. I give my life to you now, Jesus. Come live inside me. And thank you that I am now a son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if that was you, congratulations. Um, Wow, that'll be the best day of your life. What a wonderful Sunday morning. And, uh, and for everybody else, let's keep asking that question. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? Because it's always something that we can grow in and, uh, and get to know God with. Okay, so have an amazing Sunday, church. I hope you've had a wonderful Easter so far. It's not quite over yet. Uh, keep celebrating. Keep uh, talking to people by Skype or Zoom or whatever it is that you're doing. And uh, God bless, and we'll see you guys next week.